Um, Not to be confused with that other Harry Potter. Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? I'm not saying it again. (laughs) (laughs) Good morning and welcome to the Desert Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Brooks. And I'm Fran Nielsen. How are you this morning, Fran? I'm a bit tired, but it is a lovely sunny day. Happy International Women's Day plus one. Indeed. Happy International Women's Day for yesterday. It yeah. is not a lovely sunny day here. It is a bit grim. Oh, well, that's very on brand. <laughs> yes, that's true. How's the week been? It's been really good. Really, really, really good. Did yeah. lots. Um, wore my pink suit and my red heels again. It's good. Very nice. Yeah. Actually, I can tell you why I wore those um, in relation to Lent, because I thought I already failed. Oh, no. What did you give up for Lent? So, as we may remember, I gave up cheese for January, mm-hmm. which was really good. I lost loads of weight and then immediately put it straight back on again when I stopped eating healthily for February. So, decided to give up Lent uh, not give up Lent. You give up Lent for cheese. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good idea. <laughs> that is essentially what I did. No, I decided to give up cheese for Lent again, not because I observe Lent, because I don't, but I think it's a good demarcation of time when other people are also giving things up. So like when mm-hmm. I gave cheese up for January, other people were doing dry January, people were doing veganuary, so it felt like I was in it with other people. And so I felt like giving up cheese for Lent, even though I don't observe Lent, at least I'm doing it at the same time other people are suffering. Um, so, of course, Lent only began on Wednesday. So I had no cheese on Wednesday, so that's quite good. And then Thursday, I was at Stormont in the evening for work. And there was this event on and there were these people circulating with canapes. And my boss said to me, oh, go and try the falafels really good. So I ran after this waitress because she'd somehow she'd missed us because we were in the corner handing out badges. Um, so she missed us. So I sort of hunted her down just as she was about to go back into the kitchen with the falafel. And I said, oh, can I take a couple of these? And so she handed them over. But she was with this guy who had a plate of chicken skewers. And he said, oh, would you like a chicken skewer? I said, no, 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 it's grand. I'm a vegetarian. Um, and then went back to my, my desk with my falafel. And they were very yummy. And then next thing I know, she came out of the kitchen and she'd prepared for me my own plate of all the vegetarian canapes. Oh, that's so, cute. Which was so nice because everyone else had to uh, just cope with the circulating canapes and they didn't have plates either. Whereas I got my own dedicated plate. So she bought out for me some more falafel and onion bhaji and these little goat's cheese balls. But because she'd made up this, de- well, they were sort of goat's cheese fried, sort of crispy on the, a bit like a scotch egg texture, I suppose. I, For our listeners, I'm making a face and that's because I think... Oh, you goat's hate cheese. Goat. is repugnant. To be fair, bad. The, some goat's cheese tastes really goaty. It's nay pleasant. Anyway, so this waitress, bless her, so she'd bought this out and she was so happy with herself. And obviously I was delighted, but then I couldn't leave them because that felt really rude and she was watching me. <laughs> and I tried to pass them off to my boss and he hates cheese. He'd accidentally eaten one earlier in the night, not realising what it was and had to spit it out. So, um, yeah, I ate them. But other than that, I didn't have any cheese yesterday, Friday. 
So I'll just do Lent plus a day. Lovely. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can take Sunday. It's You don't do Lent on Sundays, so you could just do uh, Sunday. Do you not do Sundays? No, Sundays really? don't. Yeah. Why? Because Sundays are um, essentially a feast day every week. So you, you, you can give up your, uh, you can take a, a pause from your abstentions. So... So, because the time so between the Lent days. and Easter is actually 46 days, but you don't include the Sundays, so it's 40 days. Oh, so it's still 40 days. Oh, right, okay. Well, that's easy then, because I wasn't planning on eating any cheese on Sunday anyway, so. There you go. Happy days. So I expect, I expect you'll be swimming in a vat of coffee on Sunday. Yes, I've given up coffee, and I'm currently, I would put my mood somewhere between ratty and foul, so... <laughs> um, I probably won't have any coffee because I feel like giving up coffee and then having it and then, you know. Yeah, no. It's really, it's so I probably idea. won't have it on a Sunday. But, um, yeah, you can do, theoretically. So, um, yeah. Which is very beautiful. Serves at the cathedral, though, on Wednesday for Ash Wednesday. There's a, it was a choral even song and it was, it was really lovely. So did you get, did, nice. did you get your forehead? I did, yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Um, it was William Bird's Mass for Four Voices, which is one of my faves. And they sang a Thomas Tallis piece, which was also really nice. So, oh, I yeah. quite like Tallis. Yeah. Mm. Um, but on the subject of ashes, so RTE, which is, uh, for those who don't know, it's like Ireland's version of BBC. And... Uh, Honestly, whoever produces, they have these little two-minute video clips that they do, like, news segment clips. Mm -hmm. And whoever's producing them, I think, is an absolute... Like, I think they're having a laugh, but I don't think whoever's fact-checking it... Or not fact-checking it, what would be the word? Whoever's um, giving it the green light at RTE either doesn't care or doesn't realise that they're just having a bit of a a laugh, really. Because a couple of months ago, it was the Taoiseach's birthday... And uh, they made uh, this this new segment of they went around Dublin asking people to say happy birthday to Leah Varadkar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and either they didn't find any nice people or everyone just hates him. But they it was just essentially this, this all these clips stuck together of people going, oh, I thought he was older than that. <laughs> Fix the bins. It was so funny. <laughs> but on uh, Ash Wednesday... Someone had put together, oh my gosh, it was just, it was journalistic masterpiece. The best coverage of Ash Wednesday I've ever seen. Some uh, church in... It was, if this is the drive through ashes, it's yes. Galway. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say it's Galway. And oh my gosh, it was just brilliant. Well, we will link that on the Twitter. It was so good. <laughs> like, people turning up in their tractors for drive yep. up, so good. Honestly, what a... Uh, yeah. Anywho, um, well, to preface this, I have very little to say this week, and Fran has probably more to say, but doesn't have her notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Because, um, as we have often said, we are the slickest and most professional of podcasts. <laughs> yeah, but we're also not very techie. I resent that implication, but okay. <laughs> you're, you're reasonably, but I'm not. The problem is my notes are stuck on one computer and I'm on a different computer. Uh, 
Okay. Basically, I forgot to forward them to myself. Yeah, it's a, it's a bummer. Um, would you like to go first? Shall I go first? I think you should go first, as yeah. you have less to say. Okay, so we're going to start with America. And they're really, like, it has been quite a quiet week on the politics front, at least. Mm-hmm. There was a tornado in Alabama, which killed 23 people, unfortunately, which is obviously very sad. And um, as per usual, there's kind of been a bit of a critique of Trump's response to the emergency because he arrived in Alabama and decided to start signing Bibles. He started autographing Bibles, which it just it seemed very tactless. And but also, you tend to uh, sign things you've written. Or like an autograph book. Yes, but not a Bible, very strange. But I suppose, in fairness... Were the Bibles presented to him? I don't really know. Anyway, he could still have said no. Yeah. I mean, Gosh. It's, I should also apologise to our listeners that I have not yet been to sleep, and thus I am a little slow on turning <laughs> to brain cogs this morning. I'm waiting for my Betty's tea to really kick in. Go on, Betty's. I know, and I'm using a really good mug that says I would rather be in bed. Um, so yes it's obviously tremendously sad about everything in uh in alabama and fingers crossed that everyone recovers as quickly as possible he did go to a town called providence which i did think was slightly amusing (laughs) but um that's kind of on the on the the trump blunders this week there has also been the sentencing of uh paul manafort this week and he was given 47 months in prison, which there's been a big furor about because the uh, recommended guidelines for the crimes that he has been sentenced for were 19 to 24 years, and he got... Three years and 11 months. Yeah. Um, Good maths. Thank you. That is speedy. Um, I was working it out from the moment you said 47. (laughs) (laughs) Not that speedy. There's been quite a few comments about about uh, the Paul Manafort sentence. The judge who sentenced him praised his character, saying, and I quote this, he lived an otherwise blameless life, which just... Mm. It also sounds a bit like he's dead. Oh, yes, that's also true. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's just, yeah, it seems incredibly lenient for what is essentially a series of crimes that have undermined arguably the world's most important democracy i take it he's also been put in a very uh minimal security prison as well i actually think he's going to a, a federal penitentiary so i don't know i imagine it's not going to be the worst one in the world but um he was sentenced in virginia so it's not exactly the nicest uh, prison circuit doug levin who uh, he's a former federal prosecutor who specialises in financial crimes. He said, there are lots of defendants who are going to prison for a lot longer for offences that are far less serious. This sentence is leaving me and a lot of people who do this every day scratching our heads. Um, so the, the judge is called uh, T.S. Ellis III. And uh, yeah, so according to the, the sentencing law that's just been passed by Congress, he gets credit for the nine months that he's already spent in jail due to a sentencing law that's just been approved by Congress, he could basically serve out 22 months of this sentence before his release. 
I'm not usually the person who says that sentences are too lenient, but in this regard, possibly. Yeah, fair. And also very much it just points to the whole disparity about crimes committed by wealthy white men and crimes committed by the rest of the US population and in particular black minority men. So, yeah. But aside from that, yes, I don't really have a lot more to chat about. Oh gosh, that was very quick. <laughs> no, really, because there's not a lot has happened this week. Well, it hasn't been that much busier in terms of Brexit and updates mm-hmm. in the UK. So this week, Attorney General Geoffrey Cox, QC MP, and Brexit Secretary Stephen Barclay MP were in Brussels trying to secure uh, legally binding changes that would be acceptable to both ERG uh, MPs and DUP MPs. I also hate the fact that we refer to the ERG as if they're, they're their own party, but they do operate like they're their own party within the Conservative Party. Basically, they haven't got anywhere. I think it was, so I haven't got my notes. So from memory, I think it was Michel <laughs> Barnier basically said he, he urged the UK to come up with something reasonable, a suggestion, and he said if they came up with something, we would work on it tirelessly over the weekend. Theresa May basically bit back and said, we've already suggested reasonable proposals. Um, so I think everyone's gone home for the weekend. So I don't think much happened there. And uh, the tea shop, Leo Varadkar TD, said in terms of compromises, he said the EU have already compromised enough. So uh, any compromises are going to have to come from the UK. Mm, yeah. So that's, uh, you know, it's going well. Um <laughs> On Wednesday in the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee, I'd I'd um, suggest everyone watch it because Lady Sylvia Herman, who is the MP for North Down, she's the only MP for Northern Ireland who takes her seat, who isn't a DUP MP, she's an independent MP, she actually used to be part of the Ulster Unionist Party, uh, but she left the UUP when the UUP joined to become the Ulster Unionist and Conservative Party because she doesn't consider herself a Conservative. She's very good. I would hate to get on the wrong side of her. <laughs> so the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee, the way it works is normally there are several witnesses who will mm. sit together. But this week they had evidence from four witnesses, but they didn't listen to them all at the same time. Um, so they just had them all come in for sort of 20 minutes at a time. They asked them essentially the same questions. And the theme was uh, the impact of Brexit on the border. And so the first person they had in was Sammy Wilson from the DUP. And on the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee, there are four Northern Irish MPs, including uh, Lady Sylvia Herman. Then you also have Ian Paisley, uh, Gregory Campbell, and God, who's the third or fourth? Clearly never shows up. Um, so on the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee uh, there are several DUP MPs who who sit on the committee anyway so he was going before a reasonably friendly audience except he came in and Lady Sylvia Herman uh, there's probably a clip of this circulating Twitter Lady Sylvia Herman just sort of went oh thank you Sammy for coming here today and giving us your well I was going to say with words of wisdom but uh, evidence (laughs) (laughs) She's just brutal. Um, so they had Sammy Wilson. Then they had Jerry Carroll, who is a MLA for West Belfast for the People for Profit Party. He came on and basically talked about how bad a border would be. But he's also someone who believes in a socialist United Ireland. 
um, that should be independent from the EU because he sees both the EU and Britain as a uh, imperial oppressor. Dr. Andrew Murison, who chairs it, just looked overwhelmed. <laughs> um, but Jerry Carroll basically said people before profit, if they were hard border, he said people before profit would be encouraging people to take to the streets in mass peaceful protest. He was very clear about the peaceful aspect. They are party of peace. Um, so they had him. Then they had Claire Bailey, who is leader of the Green Party in Northern Ireland. She um, is also an MLA. I'm not sure she's going to keep her seat in the... Well, no, it's not her seat to lose. But whether the Greens will keep a seat in in the South Belfast area in the local council elections coming up is uh, debatable. They haven't even announced a candidate yet, actually. And then they had Jim Allister, who is from the... TUV, which if you think the DUP are right wing, the TUV are further. So these are four individuals who, oh my gosh, Sammy Wilson and, well, trying to put Jerry Carroll, Sammy Wilson and uh, Jim Allister next to each other would be quite interesting. (laughs) Um, So I can see why they didn't do that. And Claire Bailey is very good at, she, she, she's good at saying what she means. So they were all thanking each other to say, oh, thank you for inviting me here. And it's good to be here to give evidence. And she said, she basically like, oh, well, thanks for having me. It's more than I've had at Stormont, which is a big dig at Karen Bradley that she's only held uh, talks between the DUP and Sinn Féin rather than all party talks. Which, speaking of Karen Bradley. We will get on to her. She's mm. coming. But the point of why I mentioned the Northern yes, Ireland was... isn't to educate everyone about the traditional Ulster Voice Party. It was the fact that Sammy Wilson basically made these remarks that if the backstop were to be changed to have a time limit or a unilateral exit clause, then the DUP would back it. And this kind of made headlines as if to say, oh, they're endorsing something new. I mean, no, the DUP have been saying this all along. Um, people getting very excited and saying oh there's a deal to be done well there isn't really because the DUP has been saying this for quite some time other MPs have suggested it and uh, the EU have been very clear that they will not allow it because a backstop isn't a backstop if it has a time limit so we're nowhere closer to them where we were last week and (laughs) as we say every week (laughs) Yeah, except this time the vote is on Wednesday and it's a vote the Prime Minister really can't cancel. Although I did read some gossipy political column that said uh, ministers are already looking towards a third vote. They've basically ruled out, they've basically conceded that they're going to lose this one. So that's lovely. Uh, So yeah, Brexit not going swimmingly, but when has it? Yes. So on top of that, this week, I think, has really highlighted just how damaging Brexit has been to our politics in general, because it's it's what some people have been calling the Brexit effect. And it does kind of lead to a democratic deficit in that this week we've had several blunders from uh, cabinet members, which in any other circumstance, they would have been let go. There would have been a cabinet reshuffle. But uh, this week Mm -hmm. has just highlighted how uh, loyalty to the prime minister is the number one thing that will keep you in cabinet, not whether you're actually any good at your job. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, So obviously Chris Grayling was useless as always. Katie's face. But Katie, this is what I want to tell you about Chris Grayling, right? So I was looking for jobs, as I'm prone to do. And I actually found this amazing website. 
And uh, I saw there was a press officer job, which is something mm-hmm. I'd be, you know, this type of job I'm looking for. Um, there was a press officer job and it was really well paid. And then I looked up what it was for. <laughs> it's for the Department of Transport. Oh, if you could work for Chris Grayling. You could not pay me. I mean, it was really well paid. It was like 35 grand. But you could not pay me enough. Just imagine how much work you would have constantly having to issue press releases saying sorry or this is what he meant or actually no because he never says that he's because he still says he was right to give out the seaborne freight contracts and basically said oh i was gonna take a chance on them okay chris so that's lovely but can you not do it with taxpayers money just a thought yeah gosh oh my Um, goodness can you imagine i think you should apply for it katie (laughs) (laughs) destroy him from the inside destroy him from the inside no i unfortunately i'm not the kind of character who's capable of that which is a shame it's a shame anyway so if anyone is interested in earning a lot of money and it would be very interesting but Mm. I mean that's the reason yourself yeah that's the reason I don't think I'm actually gonna fundamentally be able to be a politician (laughs) is I just I can't do the snakery snakery yeah I think I could well, my parents have always said this, that I have had an over-exaggerated understanding of right and wrong since I was a child. So. Yes, you're a very moral person. <laughs> For someone who doesn't believe in binaries, you are very... Uh... Right and wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I do, actually, I do believe in binaries in that regard. Yeah, you do. Um, so that's Chris Grayling, and he did come out this week and basically said he's happy to serve the Prime Minister for as long as she wants him. So, well, as long as he keeps supporting her and her withdrawal agreement, she'll want him. So that's a win-win for both of them, I suppose. And a lose-lose for everyone else. <laughs> a lose-lose for everyone else in the country, but, you know, for them it's, it's win-win. So then we then had a blunder from Amber Rudd, who yes. is the uh, Work and Pension Secretary. Former Home Secretary has to stand down over misleading Parliament. Windrush scandal. Rewindrush, yes. Which, to be fair, not her policy. Actually, Theresa May's, which everyone always forgets. Yeah. Theresa May's you know. massive issue with immigration. But anyway, she got relocated to being Secretary for Work and Pensions. So I suppose, you know, she's still on a... Yes, and they are... Um, salary, so... They're quite good personal friends. Yes, they are. So uh, she appeared on the Jeremy Vine show, which I'm sure my mother was listening to, because Radio 2 is always on in our house. Oh, uh, oh always on, from the crack of dawn until... Radio the... 6 music in our house. I didn't even know there was a Radio 6, so... Yeah, it plays a lot of kind of like indie new music. My dad's really into it, so... Oh, right, okay. I obviously only listen to Radio 4, so... <laughs> obviously... <laughs> I'm 105 inside yeah you are oh there's a lovely sunbeam coming through the window and the way you're reclining you just look I am an emperor yes it's wonderful yeah actually it, it's starting to burn off why are we talking so much about the weather this is so boring sorry continue this is so British sorry continue <laughs> so she appeared on the Jeremy Vines show and basically Jeremy asked her um if abuse was worse for female politicians and Amber Rudd replied, and this is a quote, it definitely is worse if you're a woman and it's worst of all if you're a coloured woman. I know that Diane Abbott gets a huge amount of abuse and I think that's something we we need to continue to call out. 
Um, and then Jeremy Vine didn't pick up on it. And then Rudd continued and she went on to talk about the particular abuse faced by black and black and minority ethnic women. So uh, Diana Abbott then tweeted, the term coloured is an outdated, offensive and revealing choice of words. And then fellow Labour MP Diane Rowley said, uh, she tweeted saying, and Diane Abbott retweeted this, she clearly gets her language from the same bygone era as her abhorrent welfare policies. So Amber Rudd then tweeted an apology and said, mortified at my clumsy language and sorry to Diane Abbott. My point stands that no one should suffer abuse because of their race or gender. Right. So several things here. Firstly, yeah. her point does stand. Diane Abbott does get a huge amount of abuse. Yeah, um, she get she does. She absolutely gets a lot of abuse, and um, I think there was actually there was a study done which looked at the level of abuse that different MPs got, and she got something like fifty um, percent more than anyone else individually. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Which yeah, and to be fair, that there is an element of that which is like, how do you quantify what abuse is? Mm-hmm. In, and that's not me excusing like any of it, but. Is someone saying, I think Diane Abbott is really, insert swear word of your choice, bad at her job? Is that abusive versus like slurs, etc.? Like, I'm not 100% sure yes, what the okay. methodology is. If it's, right, yeah. if it's the former, then I would say that's, I think that's an overreach in terms of defining abuse because we you're allowed. We thing about Chris Grayling. <laughs> yeah, and also you're allowed to say that, you know, you disagree with Diane Abbott or you, I personally don't think she's a particularly excellent politician you can articulate that in certain ways versus like offensive ways um yes and so I don't know what the methodology of that of that study was but um she certainly by I think anyone's standards even if we were being conservative in our sort of uh demarcation of what is or is not abuse she gets an awful lot yes she she really does and so Amber Rudd I think gosh bless her she was trying to highlight this but I think we've spoken about this before, is that you don't, misspeaking is such an annoying excuse to say, oh, I misspoke. Because in my mind, you don't use words that aren't in your lexicon anyway. So why well, would you so use the word coloured? If Because that's a word I would never use. It's not in my... Yeah, and if, if she was trying to say women of colour. Yeah. But the problem with that is, you know... I'm trying to think of a way that just it just doesn't work. Yes, no, I agree that you don't you don't use. It's a bit like um, Angela Angela Smith after Tig became a thing and she referred to people as a funny tinge. Yes. Just like stop it. Yes. Why on earth would you ever? No, not appropriate. Um, but also, so this goes into some people are saying, well, what's wrong with coloured? And it has, particularly in the US, it has a very long history of being. Uh, a word that you would use to segregate yeah. uh, and reinforce racist Jim Crow's laws. So the way you'd have, you know, coloured drinking fountains and coloured bathrooms. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's why it has a long history. That's why it's offensive. Uh, in case you, you really needed that spelt out for you. Um, I actually saw another thing on Twitter, which I think was a useful way of explaining it to people who maybe don't get why it's offensive. And that the idea of coloured comes to signify this idea that actually to be white is to be the default and to be black or anything else is as though the white 
skin has been tinted or coloured in or, you know, it's yeah. an aberration of the original. Yes. And I don't believe that, just to clarify, before anyone takes that out of context. But it's a useful way of explaining to people why language like that is offensive versus saying something like people of colour. Mm-hmm. It highlights and prioritises the personhood. Yes. So yes. That, was, that was a... No, that is very good. Retweet that useful, if you Yeah, it. useful way of understanding it. If, um, if you think, oh, I don't know quite why that's offensive, but people of colour isn't. Think of it as you have prioritised with the phrase people of colour, you've prioritised the personhood of those you're talking about. It's generally the term that a lot of people use nowadays. Mm-hmm. So that's always a good thing, isn't it, to kind of take your indicators from... Yes, exactly. So. And what people of colour themselves are referring to themselves as. Yes. With the exception of that being maybe black rappers who use the N-word in raps because yeah, just that is like, never appropriate for white people to no. just don't like it's very different there's a thing about taking ownership of it and yeah but that's different for... and also just like whatever people are like well they can say it why can't I it's like actually do you know what language is not the dominion of the white man white people do not get to claim every single bit of language as their own and somehow suggest that it's unfair if I can't use that word to describe black people. Yeah. I mean, yeah, your life is so deprived. Just like, yeah, just... Yeah. But it's just, it. in the thought of it, it's foul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, like, yeah. Even if, like, um, Kendrick Lamar's King Hunter is one of my favourite songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has that word in it. So even if I'm rapping along to it, I don't say it. Yeah, no, same with me. And um, Glamorama, Bryce Vine. Yes, yeah, yeah. Song yeah. that Fran and I both really like. Yes. I have taken to replacing that word with fellas, <laughs> which I think is a bit lame, but like. I just don't say anything. Well, it fits the like pattern. So. Right, okay. Anyway, so uh, a Downing Street official then said that uh, Amber Rudd's apology should close the matter. She said, uh, the spokesperson said she apologised very swiftly. She has described it herself as clumsy language. Uh, that was absolutely the right thing to do. So I think that's, I don't think we're going to, we're not going to see any repercussions from that, basically. Well, not from within the Conservative Party anyway. I hope uh, Diane Abbott and the Labour Party keep pushing the issue, but unlikely to get anywhere because of what we mentioned previously um, about Brexit and loyalty and Theresa May's inner circle and so speaking of that there is no one in uh, Theresa May's inner circle who uh is is it's well acknowledged that Karen Bradley who's the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland uh is thick as thieves with Theresa May she's one of the very few trusted advisors so on the same day that Amber Rudd said this uh, Karen Bradley made this this actually is this does call for a resignation and plenty of people have called for her resignation and it won't happen uh, but this is this really is resignation worthy so it was in the House of Commons uh, debating the second reading of a bill that relates to Northern Ireland and money or something and uh, Emma Little-Pengelly who is an MP for South Belfast got up and basically the Secretary of State a question about security forces during the Troubles 
and uh, some of the abuse that they get. Karen Bradley said that the killings by security forces were not crimes and were the actions of people fulfilling their duties in a dignified and appropriate way. Bloody Sunday. Bally Murphy. So this is, there's so many problems with this. The first is that the Secretary of State is supposed to be mutual. Mm, Yes. And even though she is obviously a uh, part of the apparatus of the British state, um, she's supposed to be she's supposed to be neutral and she very much fed into uh saying something that the dup would love to hear um secondly when is killing anyone ever dignified and appropriate to be honest Especially i mean yeah that's the thing dignified. even if you know it's a question of life or death so killing one person saves three thousand people or something that's still killing a person is never dignified regardless of the motives behind it uh, thirdly, there are a number of ongoing inquests, so we'll shortly hear whether the paratroopers involved in Bloody Sunday will be charged with anything. Uh, that should be next week. And there's currently an ongoing inquiry into the killings of uh, citizens uh, in the Bally Murphy massacre. So these are ongoing inquiries, so it's clearly not case closed and shut. Mm. Um, so, oh, she really, she really cocked this up, let's be honest. She then had to come back, uh, an hour later and, uh, she made a clarification. She didn't really apologise. She just sort of made a clarification. She went, oh, well, what I meant was sort of 90% of security forces we know were acting, doing their jobs in the way that they were meant to. And we know that, you know, they, they weren't But also, off piece. still not... Like, I know people who served in Northern Ireland, and even then, that doesn't mean my automatic reaction is to say, oh, they absolutely must have been doing everything 100% right. And, no. you know, I mean, like, any, because it, it, was, it was a civil war, like, any war zone involves transgressions of moral and legal lines. And actually, the responsibility of the government isn't to, cover that up and I know maybe that's a bit of an idealistic hope but like it isn't the responsibility of the government to cover that up no exactly (laughs) and to get to the bottom of it (laughs) yes and I don't want to go into uh too much detail I think this is something that is would be much more valuable to people if they went and looked up Mm. uh these things for themselves but at the Bally Murphy inquest, I mean, this was uh, the 5th of March, uh, the court were told by witnesses that soldiers were laughing and joking as they collected bodies, lifting them by one arm and one leg and swimming, sw- swinging them into the back of an army vehicle. That's not dignified. No. Um, there's, um, there's quite but, a good article on The Independent that I read yesterday by Patrick Hockburn. And it's called Karen Bradley's mistake was more than ignorance. It reveals the political classes of disregard for Irish life. Um, It's really, really good. So we'll also put that on Twitter. But yeah, so this is the thing. So when she came back to the House of Commons for a second time, well, she didn't just come back for that purpose. She came back to answer more questions uh, in relation to the, the bill reading. But it was the fact that the, the clarification she offered, she didn't understand just how offensive and insensitive the things were that she said like she just didn't get it Mm. 
Yeah. So then uh, she then issued another apology. And then um, she actually, on Friday, she met with relatives of people killed by security forces. Um, and they asked her to res- resign. Um, they sat down with her at Stormont House on Friday. And sh- she invited them. Mm. But, you know, for example, one person, Francis Meehan, whose brother Michael Donnelly was shot with a plastic bullet in 1981, uh, has said, you know the uh, her position as secretary of state is untenable, and really, this is this is for me. She should resign. End of. But because of Brexit, she won't. And mm. Karen Bradley, I think there's two ways of looking at it. Karen Bradley, in my eyes, is enormously inept. She's so bad at her job, <laughs> and it infuriates me when she says that her number one priority is restoring the devolved uh, administrations and uh, getting the DUP and Sinn Fein back into the executive. And she is so unwilling to that the pain this is causing Northern Ireland. I mean, I could list you hundreds of things that are being delayed because Stormont isn't up and running. And that's everything from taxis not being able to drive and bus lanes. Belfast is the most congested city in the world after New York, by the way. It took me an hour to do six miles on Wednesday. Uh-huh. So it, it goes from stuff like that, which seems pretty mundane and no one's going to really ever tune into a debate on taxis and bus lanes in uh stormont but it is actually very important to things like cancer strategies and domestic violence strategies and the fact that northern ireland has the highest suicide rate in the uk and we're doing nothing about it from a governmental aspect point of view so the amount of time that uh, karen bradley she just answers questions in the house commentary so she's like yes well this is a good point and you do raise this uh, this very important issue um oh and the fact that you know the education system here is completely uh, unsustainable because there are far too many schools because uh, Northern Ireland selects on both. Uh, 92% of schools are uh, selective in terms of religious criteria, so Catholic mm. Protestant, and then uh, almost 50% of schools select on a academic basis, so uh, 11 plus basically grammar schools because we still have them. Um, so the result is that you have far too many schools in Northern Ireland and they're small schools and it's just it's completely unsustainable and the there's 63,000 empty desks across Northern Ireland because there are too many schools and the Education Authority is running a £90 million deficit. So there are massive issues that need resolving in Northern Ireland that are not getting done because Stormont won't meet and Karen Bradley acknowledges all these issues she absolutely acknowledges them and she says oh well this is devolved matter and nothing can be done about it until ministers meet except she does very little to make ministers meet but she at the same time won't impose direct rule and i'm not in favor of direct rule because i'm a big fan of devolution and i believe in devolution but this can't go on northern we're almost approaching 800 days of northern Ireland without a government and they've never gone for this long before i mean there have been longer periods of time where the executive has been down but direct rule was imposed so this is just completely uncharted territory and if brexit drags on and on and on uh sinn fein will not go back into an executive until they know what's happening with brexit so the other way of looking at this is and this is what uh, someone tried to say to me they said they think karen bradley is actually very shrewd and they think the brief that she's been given is just to keep the peace different kind of peace uh but keep the peace don't don't annoy the dup basically keep them on side for brexit just keep everything running still and do the bare minimum 
just keep everything kind of quietly ticking over. So if that's her brief, then yes, she's very good at her job because <laughs> she has achieved nothing in terms of getting Stormin back up and running. But uh, sorry, I think I've ranted about Cameron no, no, for about worry. five I minutes actually, now. I enjoyed it. So, um... so yeah. yeah. She's wow. But Northern Ireland, with the exception of Mo Molum, has... God bless, uh, God bless Mo Molum. She's, yeah, she's an incredible woman. Go and look her up if you don't know who she is. Um, that's M-O space M-O-W-L-A-M. Yeah, so with the exception of Mo Molum, Northern Ireland has a long history of just being inadequately served by poor Secretary of States who don't understand Northern Ireland. If I become an MP, I'd love to be Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. That's because you love Northern Ireland. Exactly. Which Which is like... Northern Ireland deserves... (laughs) They don't deserve someone like Karen Bradley to come over and go, oh, I didn't realise people voted unionist or nationalist. Oh, I know. It's just one of those things where I'm like, not only is it a failing on her part, but it's also a failing on whoever is on her staff. It takes 30 minutes to produce a four-page briefing document that you could read on the way from the airport to the centre of Belfast. Like, Yes. Also... If you've, <laughs> if you've realised that you didn't understand this when you took on the job, which, oh my gosh, why would you ever take on the job? If you're old enough to have lived through the Troubles, whether that was in Northern Ireland or actually in Great Britain, then you will know that Northern Ireland is complicated, whether you, regardless of whether you understand it or not. Karen Bradley is old enough to know that there was a big political, violent meltdown over here. So why would you take on a job if you don't understand that? seems even if you took it on why would you then be like not gonna do any research not gonna read up about it but then also the thing that gets me is okay you might not have understood that and maybe you understand that now but why are you saying this people already think you are incompetent why would you come out with this it doesn't make you look cute or learned it just makes you look incompetent yeah also i think we should in 2019, I think we should um, excise from our vocabulary the term misspeak. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Because, like, there are very few times when I'm like, I can't think of a time when I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the appropriate way to describe what happened. I mean, sometimes my brain runs a bit too fast. Uh, not my brain. My mouth runs faster than my brain. And sometimes I I know I'm guilty of doing this in interviews. So I'll come out with stuff that's too informal for an interview setting. But it's still not something I would never, ever say, if you see what I mean. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's just not necessarily the right tone. But the, the actual crux of the point I'm making still stands. Yeah. Um. Yes. So Karen Bradley will stay on because, you know. Yeah. Apparently she's all Northern Ireland deserves which I'm furious about. And on that cheerful note, been reading anything good this week? Uh, no, I've actually had a very busy week. I haven't had time to read anything. I mean, um, I sympathise. Do you remember that week when even I didn't have any time to read? You didn't read anything, I know. Just nutty, so. Yeah, no, haven't read anything this week. Haven't been to the cinema. I'm going to see my best friend's boyfriend's band tonight, though. Oh, so. If anyone's about the Ormo Road, make your way down to... Actually, by the time this pod comes out, they'll have already played. Anyway, <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Modern Rome. There we go. <laughs> Derry Girls. Okay, yes. All right, yes. I'm now caught up, so... How are you? 
I think, yes. goodness, throughout our master's degree, I was begging Katie to watch Dairy Girls. I also should clarify that I don't really watch very much television, so, like... Yeah, but you have to watch this. <laughs> well, I have been thinking about the fact that I pay for Prime and I pay for Netflix every month, and I probably watch one thing on either of them every two months so well, you need to keep prime because isn't the bold type series three coming out soon yes 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 it's coming out in april so. okay i need to get it so we can watch it together oh yeah when that when that comes back i will be watching on television but yeah but yes so dairy girls for those of you who don't know is on channel four um it its first series aired around this time last year maybe a bit earlier yeah unimportant unimportant detail (laughs) (laughs) and uh it's set in the 90s it's about four girls who are are very good friends and uh one of them her cousin who was brought up in England but you know his mum is from Derry uh his mum moves back to Derry and then actually she ends up just leaving him there we never see her uh so he's he's the wee english fella and yeah it's just about their antics it's set in 90s Derry, so it's against the backdrop of uh ira ceasefires oma bombing tour downing street declaration talks beginning for the good friday agreement and it, this is the thing it's really it's less about the troubles it's it's not about that it's about teenagers and friendship and Derry humor um, and I absolutely loved it. And I think I loved the first series so much because I was in St. Andrews at the time, which, friends aside, not the place. Don't be salty about my favourite <laughs> place in the world. <laughs> this, this is a big disagreement we have. But you kind of get it because the way I feel about Belfast is mm-hmm. how Katie feels about St. Andrews. So, yeah. So yeah. I was really missing Northern Ireland, missing home. So I really enjoyed Dairy Girls. And it came back for a second series on Tuesday. And it was so good. Did you watch? Did you watch the? You are caught up. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, just Abba even got a mention. So. I'll yes, that was. I did very much enjoy that bit where they're doing the um, the differences between Catholics and Protestants. You keep a toaster in the cupboard, and I think it's so weird. Uh yeah, I do. Yeah. But that's because yeah, in my uh house here in Glasgow, I just don't have enough like kitchen space. Oh no, I think the- you're. I didn't mean your flat, I meant your family home. Oh, yeah, yeah. We also don't keep the microwave in the kitchen. That's because microwaves, I think my parents actually hate the microwave, but I was like, we need one because <laughs> when I lived at home, I used to, I really like hot milk. And um, I just, I loved a microwave because it would make my hot milk really quickly. And then we just never got rid of it. But my mum was like, we're not having it in the kitchen. <laughs> Oh gosh, our toast is in the utility room, but that, to be fair, is because my dad is in charge of toast duties. I don't know why, because he's really bad at it. He burns everything. <laughs> so much so that when you come down in the morning, all the windows will be open. There'll be fog everywhere. The cats will be struggling to breathe. Like it's Sometimes there are flames. And he really enjoys it when we get to go on holiday. And you know when you stay at hotels and they have uh-huh. a... a, a it's like a toaster, but it's not. It's the one where you it's put like it in. In Bay Bell, yeah, we had yes. them at yeah, school. Yeah. yeah, and someone would always inevitably set something on fire. Yes, exactly. So Dad has been known to have those things carried out of the breakfast room of hotels, smoking, smoke trailing them. Um, <laughs> and it's always a challenge. He he loves it when we stay, stay at a hotel with a do-you-own-toast. It's great fun. 
not important. Yes, so I was very happy Derry Girls was back. Um, yes. Um, just to clarify why we're talking about tasters, the bit in Derry Girls, they're talking about differences between Catholics and Protestants, and Protestants apparently keep tasters in the cupboard. They do. It's weird. I mean... But confused by your family because your dad's Catholic. Yes, a mixed marriage. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think. Yeah, no, my nana definitely doesn't keep the toaster in the cupboard. I don't know about my granny. My only complaint about Dairy Girls is, which, by the way, is written by a Queen's alumna. Is... I mean, I'm unsurprised because... <laughs> there were two universities in Northern Ireland, so... Yeah, <laughs> it was going to be that or the other one, or not at all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not the point. Queen's is the best union in the world. And, uh, yeah, my only complaint is the first series, there were six episodes, and they're, honestly, they're only about 23 minutes each. They're, they're too short. There's not enough of them. They're so good. Anyway, so that's the only cultural thing from me this week. Hype. I know. Have you read anything? Um, I have. I have started Cormac McCarthy's Border Trilogy. Oh, um, Cormac McCarthy. I remember, so my first year of uni, I did English and we had to read The Road. <laughs> There's a tin of peaches. Indeed. So it's um, All the Pretty Horses, The Crossing and then Cities of the Plain. Very oh, good. so you've committed yourself to three books? Well, I have like a the trilogy in one. So oh, right, okay. I was like, I might as well just oh, read Oh, an this. omnibus. Indeed, yes. Um mm-hmm. It's been sitting on my shelf for probably a year. So I was like, I should read that. Because Is it as dystopian as The Road? Um, no. Like, I'm not. I'm re- literally, like, three quarters of the way through the first chapter thus far. But oh, from right. what I've read about... <laughs> from what I've read about them, they're not um, quite as much as The Road, no. So okay. we'll see how far I get into it by next week. Um, but, yeah. So that's good. And um, yeah, I started re-listening to some Faulkner because last year I went through a phase where I decided I was going to listen on Audible to all of William Faulkner's novels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did it, but like there are three of them I just don't remember. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I was like, can I re-listen to those? Can you, well, I assume you can remember which three they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I was... Yeah, I restarted listening to um, Hamlet, which, again, I was like, when I restarted listening to it, I was like, oh, I do remember some of this. But um, apparently, yeah, just like, I don't know if I was really stressed when I listened to those ones or something like that, but I just, yeah. Was it during the dissertation period? Let's be serious. Um, No, uh, like not over the summer. It must have been about like May. Oh, right. Okay. So, um, yeah, like I didn't listen to all of them in May, but I think the time when I was listening to the three must have been about that time. So so today is Saturday, the 9th of March. Mm-hmm. Next weekend, I will be drunk in a ditch somewhere because it's St. Patrick's weekend. I'm going away, so we'll be recording on Thursday. Yes. So next weekend is St. Patrick's weekend. I'm in Dublin on the Friday. Everyone f- cross their fingers for Fran. And your toes. <laughs> and then Saturday, Sunday, uh, it's Paddy's. So St. Patrick's weekend. My friend Maddie is flying over. Woohoo! Yeah. So looking forward to that. And we get the 18th off work. So nice. that's good. But the point of all this was not to tell everyone my day-to-day <laughs> schedule, but to point out that 
it is two weekends until the Put It To The People march in London, uh, the People's Vote campaign. Uh, if you are a Remainer in any shape or form, I suggest you get down there. I have booked my Or indeed, flights. you just think that it's been handled really poorly. Yeah. Yeah. I will be marching with the same sign that I marched with in October, which said the border isn't the problem, Brexit is. Uh, Katie, will you be there? We'll try and be there. Um, it'll try and be there that's good because I have to come down from because I'm going on holiday the day after and I mm-hmm. have to come down from Scotland and then I didn't well actually the tickets were booked before the date was announced um, I'm going to it's Derby day so going to the rugby so I'm going to try and see if I can come for like an hour and then go to the rugby at least like come and show face for a bit yeah and then yeah. add to the numbers because invariably someone on the right will say that it's all fake news and there weren't as many people there as there actually were yes it's starting at 12 for a one o'clock start on uh i don't know london i think it's park lane wherever the dorchester is in hyde park corner is that park lane sounds right yeah park lane last time i went my sister and i were there for 12 and we there were so many people there and because we didn't get there very early we got there just after 12 um we actually didn't start moving until two mm-hmm. because uh there were so many people my sister and I got as far as I want to say Trafalgar Square but I'm not entirely sure that's where we were <laughs> again uh, don't know London geography is uh, stellar <laughs> quite limited there was a big column which I think right. was Nelson's column which would be Trafalgar Square uh-huh. but the surrounding bits didn't look like Trafalgar, how I imagined Trafalgar Square looked. Anyway, I don't know where it was, but we didn't make it as far as uh, Westminster because there were too many people. They essentially couldn't fit any more people in. So uh, I would suggest either arriving earlier than 12 so you can actually walk from one or arriving around one so then you're not hanging around so far. But obviously you probably won't get as far. And on that hopeful note. So everyone get out and march. Get your EU flags, get your signs, get your paint. I'm going to try and get my dad to wear glitter. I have some gold glitter. I want to put it on my cheeks. Um, if you can't make it to London, obviously there are a number of local marches. So just do the goog. <laughs> Hated that. <laughs> <laughs> I know Glasgow is having one. I think Edinburgh's having one as well. Yes, Edinburgh's quite good for them, actually. So, um, well, I mean, Glasgow has a march every week for something or other. That's the orange order, Katie. No, no, there's a protest. The amount of times George Square is uh, not available for entrance because of protesting. So, Well, it's good fun to protest, actually. And on that note, in order to record this pod, I've missed the Rally for Choice International Women's Day march in Belfast because International Women's Day is not just a celebration of women, it is a protest. And on that note, I'd like to remind everyone that I have no bodily autonomy in Northern Ireland. Thank you very much. Mm, yeah we shouldn't get onto that <laughs> no that was just a little here it is a nugget <laughs> i've right. stuff ranting about northern ireland <laughs> today we've got to see the socials last week so you can follow us on twitter at desert underscore politics you can follow us on instagram at desert politics pod and i must say the content has definitely improved recently i'm getting quite good at this malarkey so uh, um you can follow me on Twitter at Katie underscore Brooks 95. I am now on private, but I'll accept you. If you're not a bot. Yeah, if you're not a bot. Um, or just objectionable. <laughs> oh, I, I have all I follow all kinds of people. I have all kinds of people following me on Twitter. So 
don't mind if you're objectionable just mind if you're not a human being okay you can follow me on twitter i'm not private i probably should be probably need to change my twitter handle as well at queen of franta so we will be back on thursday well we'll be recording on thursday we'll be back next monday by which point we will be one step closer to knowing what's happening with brexit or indeed not at all (laughs) well yes Um. (laughs) right stay cheerful everyone (laughs) bye bye Duncan Levin, who's a former federal prosecutor. Mm. <laughs> Duncan <a> Levin. <laughs>